Howard Lindzen is the founder and general partner at Social Leverage. All opinions expressed by Howard and podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinion of Social Leverage or Stock Twits. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for decisions. Guests may maintain positions and securities discussed in this podcast. It's me? Yes, it's you. You're on, <laughs> Howard. Thanks for lunch. You're very welcome. What does it sound like? Is that annoying? To me, yeah. That's the sound. It's the sweet sound of brown rice and spicy salmon. I'll make a little edit note right here. Don't edit it. We're a fucking podcast. <laughs> oh, man. I've had a long day. But is it gorgeous? I mean, Long day. It's barely started. It's beautiful. How out. gorgeous is it? It's beautiful. So here's, here's a funny story. It's sports day today on Panic with Friends. We have a fucking legend on, living yes. legend. Yes, we do. But I'm going to make people guess. So I, I, uh, I was up at Silverleaf Golf Course here in town that I frequent. Very fancy-dancy. North Scottsdale, beautiful, quiet, peaceful place where I go to do work sometimes. And um, John Ram is there. John Ram. You, you, know, you know John Ram? I do. Yeah. Fucking celeb. And you know, you know me. I hang out to meet celeb. I mean, I'm, you live I'm Larry this. fucking David. So I, I'm like, I'm just the idiot with my iPhone all over. It's empty, the club. Like, this is when you go, this is when he's trying to go to not see anybody. Right. Literally on Tuesdays, the course is closed. So no one's at this place except Howard Lindsay eating eggs, stuff in his face with bacon and eggs and coffee. So he shows up. I know he's a member, but he just finished Augusta. And I got a million questions. I don't care that he's there with his in-laws and his wife. It's, it's Howard Lindsay. That's not your questions. Right. I have things that I want to do, COVID or not COVID. <laughs> but anyways, you'd be proud of me. Okay. I did nothing. You didn't? Oh, man. Not nothing. So if he's listening, which eventually he will, because who can resist the charm? Because as soon as he ever asked me a question, right out of my mouth. Oh, you should check out my podcast and my SPAC. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So speaking of sports, we have Ryan Neese on the podcast today. He's a great investor. Um, Fantastic. Great networker. Loves technology. This is a this is a great fact about Ryan Neese. He played on the O and sixteen Detroit Lions and won a Super Bowl at Tampa Bay. Fantastic. That's like buying Bitcoin at seventeen K and selling it at four K <laughs> before it goes back to twenty K. Right. So he's been on every side of sports and next play capital. We'll get it. It's a great backstory of the name of Next Play. Okay. And uh, not only is he famous as an athlete and an investor, but uh, his dad is uh, Ronnie Lott, San Francisco 49ers. So it's kind of like there's hope for Max. Could be a good investor because, you know, I'm like the Ronnie Lott of investing. <laughs> <laughs> now, that, I just besmirched the name Ronnie Lott. So anyways, let's get Ryan, next play capital on the phone, who uh, I think we're investors in a couple of deals. He's more late stage and he's friends with Kelvin Beecham. And my friend Paul Trobe introduced me to uh, Ryan. Fantastic. Ryan could care less that we're doing all this. He just wants to get on the show, so let's dial him up. <laughs> Ryan. Gentlemen. You use that loosely, but we'll save you that. The uh, You are the second celeb we've had on the show. We had Kelvin Beecham, who you know, on the show. Uh, I don't know if you consider Kelvin a, a celeb, but nevertheless, I guess anybody that puts on a professional jersey might be considered a celebrity in your eyes. For my eyes, yes. <laughs> I mean, he scares me. I mean, he's big boy. I, uh, I don't know football players, so there's basically the two of you that I know. The athletes just avoid me. Just no, I that's look, not true. I, I you know a lot like, of great people. I think KB 
you know, more people probably know Kelvin for maybe not what he does in the gridiron and for all the things he does off the gridiron, which, which is what makes him so special. He, he, he did a great job. He's had, I mean, it's fun to watch this year because I'm a Cards fan just because of the playmakers. You have to be a fan of the Cards this year, whether you live here or not. I'm in Phoenix is, oh, my God, it's like anything could happen. Yeah, I, I would agree. I think anybody in, in most industries, when you see people putting points on the board and, and doing it at the highest level and, and make draw-dropping investments or draw-dropping plays on the gridiron, or I mean, it can't help but get noticed. And so um, no doubt the cards this year have, have a, a stable of playmakers and, and Kelvin Beecham does his best to protect, uh, I think, a rising superstar in the NFL and Murray. Murray is just insane. So... Um... Let's get into investing because the show is Panic with Friends. So I've got so many questions, but I want to stick mostly to investing because Next Play is right at the thick of things in some great companies. So tell me how the idea of Next Play came about. And I'd like, I've heard the backstory of the name, but I love it. Can you just tell everybody? Yeah, happy to. Um, you know, the backstory of the name and the origin of the name came from my days playing in Detroit. Um, unfortunately, as you alluded to, I was one of the rare individuals that had a chance to play on one of the worst teams in, in NFL history and getting a chance to uh, uh, go and play in Detroit um, and go through uh, go through the week and each day hoping that w- the next day would be better than the next and it never was. It was tough. It was mentally draining, uh, physically um, taxing and needless to say, we just never were able to get into the win, win column. But one of the things that I did learn uh, it was about the fifth game of the season, Howard. I, I remember that I'd make a, a bad play or do something, uh, make an error. And all of a sudden that error uh, would st- stick with me and two, three plays would go by and I'd still be thinking about that, that negative moment. And what, what's, what was hard about that is I'd been playing in the league, you know, I was a veteran at that point. I was a captain and played in a Super Bowl and, you know, I never really had that snowball on me um, before. And yet, nevertheless, it, it started to get to me mentally. And so I decided to call my dad. Rarely did I call my dad um, for advice. I always wanted to try to earn it on my own. And just being a stubborn young man, um, probably I did not take advantage of, of, of the wealth of wisdom that um, my dad probably could have provided um, to me over my NFL career or football career. But and you know, at this time I said, you know, I got to do it. Got to make a call. I don't know what's going on. Let me see if the uh, the Hall of Famer can give me some advice. And so I call up my dad, Howard, and um, I say, hey, dad, you know, I'm just curious, you know, when you, when you messed up on the field or made a mistake, what did you do to move on? He goes, what are you talking about? I go, you know, when you, when you messed up, you, you know, you did, didn't do something right on the field, how'd you move on? He goes, I don't know what you're talking about. I never messed up. Oh, I've had lunch with him and I can hear him saying that. <laughs> I'm like, oh, what do you mean you never messed up? This is why I don't ask you for questions. Like, don't try to do some Jedi mind tricks on me right now. I'm just trying to get a straight answer here. And I said, okay, forget it. Bad play, good play. What did you do to move on? And he said, Ryan, the only play that matters is the next play. That's the play that I remember. And that's the play that I played for. And, you know, boom, my mind just, you know, kind of exploded thinking about how does somebody in every single moment put themselves in a position to mentally forget what had just happened and purposely and intentionally put themselves in a moment, in a mindset to move on to the next play. And I just felt that that was such a powerful uh, piece of advice. And it sounds so simple, but yet if we all think about how hard that is to do, play after play, moment after moment, um, it was just something that was really important to me. And nevertheless, I, I felt like it not only applied to sports, but it applied to my relationships. It applied to my um, business endeavors. It applied to so many things in my life, this idea of playing you know, the next play. And I mean, even think about 
the great Tiger Woods, who just played in the Masters and on a hole where he got a 10, Howard. I mean, that's like me playing golf, a 10. Yeah. That is, I mean, that's, that's, that's not good golf. And <laughs> yet the next five holes, he goes on to birdie. Think about being able to play at that stage where everybody's talking about how bad you're playing. Mentally, you know you're playing bad because you're dropping multiple shots. And yet you quickly forgot about how bad you were just swinging the club. And you go on and you hit five straight birdies. I mean, that type of mental um, toughness is what Next Play is all about. And, and so I decided to, when we started our firm, we wanted to name our firm Next Play. And, and the reason we built our firm is because we felt like so many individuals in our community, Howard, um, were trying to invest in the asset class of, of, of venture. And as you know, the venture asset class is very, very small between the haves and the have-nots. And when we talk about fun performance, the chasm, the delta between upper quartile and upper, upper decile performing funds and every other fund out there is massive. And, and, and the firms that are performing at the highest level, not just for one fund, but fund after fund after fund, Correct. They don't need people's capital and they're not looking for capital. Um, they are oversubscribed and access constrained. And nevertheless, I felt it was really important for us as a firm, a diverse firm with a diverse community of investors to find a way to give our community ability to have a seat at the table. And so next play is, is what we built. Um, obviously after the history of my father and relationships in the Valley, my relationships and history in the Valley. And so um, our fund, we invest in other funds, 80% of our capital is invested in other funds, and then up to 20% we use to co-invest alongside those managers. And, you know, we're proud of what we built and, you know, 75% of our investor base is minority, 65% is black. We have men and women and leaders in 32 of the major cities around the country. And um, we just have really built a special community of investors, um, but try to align with men and women that are the very best at what they do and the managers that are and founders that are the very best at what they do and align with excellence. Yeah, that was awesome. So, I mean, there's so many questions that that spawns. So we'll probably just stick on this topic for as long as possible. The, the idea of next play is so true. Like the reason, and I'm not an athlete, but I do understand the golf analogy because, you know, my son is kind of a scratch golfer and he makes it look effortless and I'm so happy for him, but he's such a prick about it. And, you know, we were playing this weekend and I'm, you know, I can't put two shots together. And I'm like a 10 handicap, which people would say is good. But I, in my head, I'm a five. And so every shot I'm disappointed in. And I can't imagine getting a 10 and just finishing the day. Because mentally, I don't even know if I'd want to finish because you're out of it. Like, you know, it doesn't mean anything anymore. So you're, you're so right about that. And in trading and investing, you know this, the, the next trade is is everything. The great investors can put aside the misses or the bad trades and just focus on the next trade. So it really does apply. So it's a great name. Congrats on that. And um, do you remember the first big investment you missed in terms of like, like a play? Uh, yeah. I mean, there's, there's a number of them. Um, uh, Steve Anderson, um, of baseline ventures. When we first started, um, I got introduced to him, a lot of respect for him and his firm and obviously, um, very well respected for being a very, very good early stage investor and has made numerous investments and people probably can look up his portfolio and see the success he's had. Nevertheless, literally got introduced to him, had a great conversation. 
And he quickly, within a very short period of time, said, I have a co-investment um, in a company called SoFi. Um, would love to see if you want to have a piece of it. Um, and not hemmed and hot. I wasn't really doing a lot of directs at that time. Most of our investors were coming to us to make fund investments, not take on an additional risk. And, and needless to say, we passed on that. Um, and so obviously SoFi has gone on and grown and scaled. Um, and so that that's an easy one that sticks out um, because the stars aligned looking back. Um, the, the individuals that were involved, the, the recommendation, the category, the company, blah, blah, blah. But we passed. And so that was a play we missed. Got it. And then what's one today that you're excited about? I know Carta, you guys were early in that. Is there anything that comes to mind that's just like you just are so excited about the company that, uh, you know, just exudes, you know, everything you love about the business? Yeah. Impossible Foods was is an amazing company. We were Pel- investors in Peloton. Obviously, we think that category is amazing. Guild Education and Rachel and what she's doing in the ed tech arena and providing um, education as a service for employees to be able to provide their employee and their workforce uh, the ability to go to college for roughly a, a dollar a day. Phenomenal business. Huh. Um, you know, a Tonal's another very exciting company. Tonal's cool. Yeah, it's a really interesting company, UiPath and, and what they're doing in, in the automation industry and um, ByteDance, we're an investor in TikTok. And I mean, you talk about from a global scale and their penetration globally and the number of daily active users, yeah, it's just the tip of the iceberg of what they're building. And that's become a very controversial company here in America, but on a global scale, pretty excited to be a part of that one. But it's not really, you know, when they look back at it for all the joy that that company is creating, they were just caught up in the politics of the moment. I mean, 90% of people know that's just politics. There was not any, you know, malintent there. They're just, when you're that big, you just get caught up in the stuff. Obviously, you've been there in sports and now investing. Yeah, I mean, I, I would agree. And especially when you're talking about the two countries that were involved in that. And, you know, yet we've really yet to see an American company penetrate China and, and, and really survive. And, and there's been billions of dollars that have invested in whether Uber or Apple and others and, and somehow for one reason or another, or, or blocked from really being able to be successful. And yet, you know, you have the reverse happening where a Chinese company now is really being, you know, not just successful, is, is penetrating globally um, uh, company after company. And so I think that there's a lot of tension built up between um, in the system. And so I think you're right, a lot of politics involved. But nevertheless, you understand that. And uh, we've seen that time and time again, when you get big, I was told one, I think I was told at some point in my career, um, the well that surfaces gets harpooned. And so um, whenever you decide to surface as these mega companies, you have to be prepared for the spears and, 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 and arrows and things that are going to be coming after you to take you down. Oh, I like that. The whale that surfaces gets harpooned. Good point. If you happen to be an orange whale, you just make yourself an easier target. The or yellow <laughs> turtle. So, and, and again, I'm not getting into politics. The policy, we're, we fucking screwed up the policy. You can't, I've been to China. Have you been to China? Yeah, one time. Right, for one a short time. Period of time. Exactly, because you go one time and go, "Fuck it, I'm not coming back to this place." Right? Like, all right, we're building these stupid walls. We need a digital, like the digital wall. That we have no wall. They they get to do whatever they want in our country. But so yeah, I mean, luckily, I think TikToks. I, I watch my kids use it, and it's just it's it brings a lot more joy than a regular social media. It's kind of silly. It's kind of MTV. So kudos to them for putting that deal together. The I just want to talk to transition from football to investing. What was the spark? Was it because your dad invested or you just liked it or what'd you do in school? Yeah. Like most things, you get a chance to 
be around certain arenas and um, you get to hear um, certain conversations that are taking place. And so, you know, my father, obviously being in Silicon Valley and playing with the Niners and um, getting a chance to meet the men and women that built the Valley in a lot of ways and laid the foundation for the world of tech. It was interesting to be able to pop into those conversations at times when I was privy. And I remember being at UCLA and you know, um, I'll never forget the companies that I was looking up because I was excited to learn about Sun Microsystems and huh. Juniper Networks and, and Intel and um, Cisco. And there were, you know, I remember my teammates looking at me like, what are you talking about? Why are you looking these things up online? That's not what I'm looking up. I'm <laughs> you know, as a teenager. Um, but I was fascinated with it. And, and so I've always been a very curious person. And I've always believed in the idea that um, and, and innovation and, and, and the great minds and the great people that have stood on this planet um, have done things and have said things and have invented things that no other person has ever done before. And they did it when most people didn't believe in them. They did it when the odds were against them. They, and, and, and those stories after stories that I've read about the men and women, they've inspired me. And so I've always kind of gravitated towards that. And I think that there's a lot of parallels between being a great athlete and a great founder. This idea that even at a young age, when you say, hey, I want to play football, most people go, well, stay in school, kid. Good luck. Because just the reality is the odds are against you. There's just really low probability that you'll ever make it to the very top. And just like that founder that starts that company, they're, you know, selling cereal on, you know, on, on, on beds for people to hang out and and. Someday, somehow, that company is going to spin up and become a multi-billion dollar publicly traded company. Good luck, kid. Stay in school. It's just the odds are against most people, but there's just something that's so inspiring and invigorating. And nevertheless, I always thought that that was going to happen or I'd be around that. And so I went to school at Stanford and Harvard in the off seasons and just kind of wanted to play around the hoop and learn business. And when I was done playing thought I'd kind of actually maybe go work at the family business, but they ended up selling that business. So I went to a family office and started working with a, at a family office. I was an investor and an analyst for a couple of years. And then a buddy was in business school. And Howard, he said, hey, man, I got an idea. We decided to um, take that idea and turn it into a business. And like most individuals, you're a little naive and um, ignorance is bliss. And when you're stubborn and persistent, you find ways to think the the impossible is possible. And um, we decided to start building a company and we slaved away at that. Man, I tell you, it, it was the, by far the hardest thing that I've ever done. Um, and I would trade running down the field, uh, hitting 300 pound linemen over and over in the early days of, of running a company. Just there's so many things you don't know. There are so many fires you're constantly putting out. You're emotionally drained because you're constantly telling everybody things are great. Everything's so exciting and it's up and to the right. And yet the reality is you're hanging on by a, a, a thread. Um, there are things that just have to go right or it's going to completely collapse on, on itself. And, and we slaved away at that for four years. And then we were acquired by um, a company called Fox Sports. And so all of that brought me back and, and got me to have a seat at Next Play because through that journey, time and time again, people would come to me and just like they do to you, Howard, and all your friends and community and guys like Paul and Kelvin and others. Like, hey, I'm looking at this investment. What do you think? Yeah. I'm looking at this, Howard. What, what are your thoughts here? And you go, oh, I like that. I don't like that. Well, the vast majority of the things that I saw my friends and my community investing in were crap. And it was frustrating to see these individuals putting a lot of money to work and things that had very, very low probability of, of ever turning into anything. And, and so that's when we decided to build Next Play and, and really take advantage of the opportunity to be stewards 
And don't listen to me. Go listen to Howard. Go listen to Aileen Lee and Bill Gurley and Byron Dieter and the numerous other amazing people we're fortunate to call friends in this industry. And listen to these world-class experts do what they do at the very best. And guess what? Even when they do it, they get it wrong more than they get it right. And yet those are the people you got to find ways to lean on and learn with and invest with and grow with and engage with. And so we try to build this system where we're constantly engineering serendipity. And you said, hey, Ryan's a great networker. It's about being a great listener and about trying to find ways to bring value to people. It's what I love. Next play is our ability to try to bring value and solve the need that we saw and will see probably for a long period of time until um, we continue to um, try to bridge these gaps. Yeah, it's the best game in the world. I'm so, that's why I preach every day, we got to get this next generation invested. We're going to have a massive investing class. The more players, the better. Same with, you know, how does football get better? Well, it's just a bigger pool to draw from, you know, like even though football's yeah. dangerous, there's still a bigger pool to draw from. And now it's international, much like basketball. Well, think only- about this. You know, I mean, if we can get these men and women that are leaders, these heroes and sheroes in our community that people look up to, if we can help put them in a position where they're financially solvent when they're done playing and then they're not forced to go into working in a job maybe that they don't like or they're not forced to take unnecessary risk to win the lotto again to be able to you know continue to support a lifestyle that they want. If we can help be stewards of their capital and help them win there, guess what? Those are the men and women that are going to sit on boards. They're going to donate. They're going to come play golf with you. They're going to be active in the community and they're going to be representing probably a population and a demographic of people that um, we need leaders and we need people in those arenas to look up to. And, and, and that to me is where I get excited. Yeah. We call it a social leverage because, you know, no matter how good an athlete you are, your career ends and now you got to start something new. And the easiest thing that we could teach athletes and pretty much every kid in the world is this language of money and finance and investing because you can take that through your whole life. You can put it on pause for 10 years while you go do something else, start a company, do whatever, and come back to investing, right? The the prices change, but the basic mechanics stay the same. The companies change, but the mechanics stay the same. So that's kind of my mission. I think what's interesting about what you said, and it's probably the most important point, is this mentorship you know, from your education investing and from social networks. You know, The fact that someone could call me one day and go, SPACs are for suckers. And then I send them two podcasts, you know, you know Patrick's recent podcast with um, uh, Rich Byrne from Zillow and Brad from Altimeter, or I chat with Chamath, who are legitimate great investors and operators, uh, Rich at, at Zillow for that experience. And no middleman, there's no Citibank, there's no Merrill Lynch in the way. I said, go to Spotify, listen to these two podcasts. And then you'll know more about SPACs than 99% of the population. They may be wrong, but you'll know more from the horse's mouth about SPACs than anybody on the planet with an hour of your time and realize that instead of mocking something, you could follow, you don't have to be the first to invent it and then you can follow someone. And I think that's the power of what you said earlier. It's not about next play saying me, me, me. It's about educating your clients and just building trust, you know, to call it like social deposits. You got to make millions of deposits to earn that trust. Yeah, I, I would agree. And I think one of the things that's, that's also equally important is being able to compare and contrast. We learn it in school. It's fundamental and being able to make the proper decision is to be able to hopefully have a diverse set of perspectives. Then you can proceed on how, what you think or perceive to be right. 
The challenging part is we live in a world where most people are not opening themselves up to hearing a diverse set of perspectives. And I think that that's something that's fundamentally needs to change, that we need to be able to open up. I might not agree with Howard. I might not like Howard's opinions, but nevertheless, I still owe him the respect for him and for myself to be able to hear, listen, and understand what he's trying to say. And maybe it'll help me in my own arena. One of my favorite books is a book called Team of Rivals, and it's about Abraham Lincoln. And I talk about Lincoln like I knew the guy because he's a fascinating individual. And, and, and one of the things, I'm sure you probably read this book or even know about what he did, but nevertheless, when he was on his um, campaign trail, there were a number of people that were running against him and spoke openly about him in a negative fashion and, and said that he wasn't qualified or fit or any things that we always say about our rivals and people that we don't want to lose against and competitors. And yet when he did win the presidency, he filled his entire cabinet with the people that spoke out against him, that were his rivals, because he felt like for him to run the country in an appropriate way, it was important for him to hear all opinions and have those individuals give him advice and insights to maybe arenas and networks and peoples and communities, maybe that he wasn't privy to. And so I always found that so fascinating to be able to be humble enough to do that. And even in the world of the SPACs, as you said, if it works, fantastic. If it doesn't work, I, I would love to hear people be able to be humble enough to say, here's what happened. And this is why it didn't. We, we also, we champion all the things we do right. And you know, the valley is filled with more gravestones than there are trophies. And, and yet sometimes we forget that we're not always right. We don't always have the right answers. And we're lucky more than, more than anything. And the people that have that self-awareness and are able to communicate that effectively, openly, yet but curious to, to learn from the mistakes is something that I admire. Yeah, I mean, this is great. The And this is, again, why Robin Hood was so interesting to me at the beginning. It's like, the faster I can get a kid to learn about himself by, it's $100 I give them to invest, and they learn their mistakes, because you're going to get cut, right? Not everybody can play sports and be in tournaments and play on team sports at a high level, but you give a guy $500 or a girl $500 to put in the market, they're going to get the shit beat out of them at some point soon. And what a better way to learn than seeing losses. You know, nothing hurts more than those type of losses other than just getting smacked in the head. So again, this is why I feel like this revolution is just getting going in a world that, you know, craves activity in a world where the world's connected by phone. This stuff is just getting started. So in, in that world that we're talking about, forgetting family, and this is why I have Canute around me. He hates me. So it's like, I'm like Abe Lincoln. <laughs> You're my, uh, you're my cabinet. You come to work every day and he looks at me with such disdain. I'm so glad I could help you out on that. So I'm like Lincoln a little bit. So I feel good about myself. I have no cronies around me. I have nothing but no men around me. Yeah, a yin and a yang. Yeah. So um, assuming no family interruptions, and that's impossible, but assuming that, what's a day in the life look like in 2020? Uh, let's even put COVID aside for a minute because Zoom versus travel, but like, what is your role at NextPlay on a day-to-day? Because it's 80% you're investing in funds, 20% private companies, you're raising money. Like, what's the breakdown? Yeah, I, I, I wish I could say that there's a perfect day or, or one day is like the next, but no two days are the same. And I think that that's the uniqueness of this job is the, is the flexibility and the fluidity that you need to have in being able to not just be reactive with what's coming at you, but also 
proactive to be able to set up for what's next, the next play. And so I think half of my day is probably at least being reactive um, and being able to respond to something maybe I was proactive to in previous days. Um, and that's either engaging with GPs and understanding um, what's going on in their worlds and trying to learn and hear and listen and figure out how I can be better, right? And it's two probably components of that. It's probably externally from an investment standpoint, what are the things they're looking at? What's their thought process and how has that changed from yesterday to today? It's probably internally talking with them about, as you know, it's one thing to run a fund and be an investor, but you also have to run a, a fund and build a firm and what are you doing operationally inside of a firm? And so picking their brains around that. Um, it's engaging with founders, um, and so being able to interact with founders and understand what companies we're trying to chase and get in. And fortunately, maybe you can get a crumb here and there. Um, and then not as it just investments, but what are we doing from a value proposition? How do we activate the men and women that are leaders in the 32 major cities around the country? How do we actually bring value? How do we actually support them? Um, in our LP community, we kind of serve a three-headed monster. And so what are we doing with our LPs? You're always kind of fundraising and communicating and trying to make sure you're building that level of trust and transparency and I've always, I've invested in a lot of things and I'm always frustrated when I don't hear anything. I naturally probably assume the worst in that sense. And even though I'm an eternal optimist, when it comes to money, when I feel like I'm not getting information, it just doesn't make me comfortable. And so we probably over communicate with our LP community and provide them with updates and um, we create opportunities from an educational standpoint. We have a fellowship program. We have tours. We have workshops. We have summits. So all of those things are constantly probably being worked on in a, on a daily basis. And, and um, I, I, I admire individuals that find ways to maximize the 24 hours out of, their, out of their day. And I try my best. But needless to say, some things get left on my plate and hopefully I get them off the, uh, on the following day. But that's probably you know, priority-wise how I spend my time um, and then obviously it's communicating internally with our team to make sure all of those things are being done at, at the highest level and listening to them on their suggestions on what we need to do to, to continue to, to win. So um, what I love about it is that the, the diversity of each day and the ability to be flexible and, and um, at the same time driven to how are we meeting the needs of our GPs? How are we meeting the needs of founders? How are we meeting the needs of our LPs? And then activating and putting a process in place to go and execute around that. The this great stuff. I I wouldn't. I'd be remiss to not talk about panic for a second. So on the on the football field, I mean, I don't know, I guess it would have been easier to be on Detroit before Tampa. Um, do you remember a time when you panicked on 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 the gridiron in, in the Tampa years in in the great run? I would say a lot of the panic came, at least for me, probably in the practice. I was a rookie the year we went to the Super Bowl. And so, um, you know, going to UCLA, you get a chance. And I was very fortunate to meet John Wooden. And John Wooden was a phenomenal coach. And one of Wooden's um, phrases is, if I have to coach you in a game, it's too late. Huh. And I'll never forget that because when I was at Tampa, I would panic because I'm lined up next to Derek Brooks and John Lynch and Simeon Rice and Warren Sapp and Rondé Barber. And across from me is Keyshawn Johnson and Brad Johnson and blah, blah, blah. I can't, I can't lay an egg here. I don't want to embarrass myself on the practice field. And so the level of intensity and the pressure of that would make me almost panic at times of, of being a deer in headlights paralysis by analysis, study long, study wrong. And I wouldn't trust my instincts. And so that part was frustrating. Interesting enough, though, once you got into the game, you would panic so much and had 
you know, stumbled your way through the week of practice that you almost felt free in the game. And that was the amazing part that one of the difference between Tampa and winning a Super Bowl and Detroit and going on 16 is when we'd walk into a game in Tampa, I felt like we were up by 14 before the game even started. <laughs> the level of confidence that we had and how wired we were mentally and how confident we were that we were going to go and execute better than anybody else. Even though the other guys get paid too, we knew we were going to out-execute them. It was unbelievable. We'd go into the game in Detroit, felt like we were down by 14, Yeah. right? And that was mentally depleting. And all of a sudden, you, you could even put a few points on the board. I'll never forget. I mean, we were winning the game 28 to 10 in the third quarter in Detroit. And we lost the game because we really didn't believe we were up. Honestly, we really didn't. We just were waiting for the moment uh, for, for, for the mistake to happen, to unravel this opportunity that was presented to us. And on the other side, that never took place in, in Tampa. So it was a really good question. And what about today? Any lingering football injuries or is it just... Uh... <laughs> yeah, talk to my wife on that one. She's got to put up with the aches and the pains that I have. But it's a brutal game. It's yeah. a violent game. Yeah. I mean, I've been hit so hard that after the hit, I coughed up blood. You know, if you think about Drew Brees recently got hit, cracked three ribs, played that game, played in the next game, got tackled, cracked two more ribs, punctured a lung, and he played the rest of the half and threw a touchdown pass. Mm-hmm. I promise you there is less than 1%, 1% of 1% of human beings that would physically and mentally have the ability and the toughness to be able to do what he did. It's a violent game. And, and yeah, after the game is over and you hang up the cleats and hang up your helmet, um, you still feel those aches and pains. You've had a new, numerous car wrecks. And so shoulders and knees and hips and joints and backs and all of the above. So, No, I, I, I kind of feel that because I asked for white rice today and can you got me brown rice? <laughs> and here I am still eating it. You know, it's like a massive hit. It's kind of like the same story, <laughs> except for the broken ribs. <laughs> Oh, my God. I would say that guy's not Jewish. That's the only thing I could say. There's 0% Jewish people could put up with that. But uh, what a story. I mean, yeah, but you still look great. You guys are executing at the top of the game. What's the current fund size? And how do people reach you? You know, if you're a fund manager and want to get your fund in front of you, you know, I've sent you stuff. But <laughs> uh, Easiest way is just email. I'm not really that prolific on on social. I'm, I'm amazed, Howard. You're you're prolific on social, and I, I admire it because I wish I was better at it and more engaged. I just don't make time for it. Um, but nevertheless, it's probably easy to just email me at ryan at nextplaycapital.com. Um, we'll get ready to raise our next core fund here uh, at the beginning of the new year. It'll be $150 million. So that's the next goal for us. And we'll move move towards that. And then what, with COVID, where are you hanging out today? Um, I'm, I'm, I'm in the Bay Area um, which is our offices in, in Redwood City. I'm in Redwood City now, which is probably one of the reasons why our office is empty. And maybe there is a little bit of an echo in my interview here, but um, we have our own RV. We've had an RV before. It was a cool thing to do during COVID. And so we take that out and try to change up the scenery and get in the nature and um, get off the grid for a little bit on the weekends. But nevertheless, we've been hunkered down here in California. So... Um Athletes love this stuff, right? It's not about it's not it's different than the stock market. Athletes are into this. Yes. And and you know, for multiple reasons, um, some of which I know and some of which I'm I'm still learning. But you know, one of the things is it, you're talking about some of the most competitive human beings in, in the world. They're alphas, these are lions, these are the most intense human beings that you can be around that are 
trying to win at every single thing that they do. And when they see other peers winning, they too want to take advantage of those opportunities. And so when you see folks like Steph and Iguodala and my father, Ronnie Lott and Joe Montana and a number of other athletes that have been able to be successful here, others think that they can do it. And at the same time, it also you know, you see the, 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 the rewards, you read the headlines of the 10 X hundred X, and that becomes um, something that you want to uh, want to uh, try to attempt to do. And, and your risk tolerance is a lot different. So you're willing to take an absorbent amount of risk. Um, that's what you do even in your career. So unfortunately, sometimes that people come in with the wrong necessarily intentions and maybe trying to hit things quick and win the lotto. And you already won the lotto once, but it's the ones that are methodical. It's the ones that put in the work and put in the time and dedication and and really learn how to put capital work in an appropriate methodical way that I've seen just do really, really well and build really strong portfolios. Kelvin Beecham being one of those guys, and there are others um, that I know. So um, it it is pretty amazing to see the interest in the space. and with interest needs to come education. And, and I think that's hopefully what we're all trying to do. I know you, you spend time doing that with your community as well. So uh, this was great. You're the man. I appreciate all the time. And hopefully we'll get to see you soon. And I'm excited about the next fundraise. We'll uh, stay in touch and uh, just uh, be safe out there. Howard, you are the man, my friend. I appreciate you having me on here. You're the best. Keep making plays, brother. Okay, my man. Talk to you soon. Canute, yeah, you heard it right at the end. I didn't even ask for that. You that was a are the man. I am. Just cut that and just run that. We don't even need to intro that. And just goodbye. forty-five minutes. Forget what everything he said, even though it was good. Just run that on a loop. All right, this is Panic with Friends. Uh, that was a treat for me. I don't, I don't know Ryan that well, but he he really laid into it there, didn't he? How'd I do? I let him talk, right? You let him talk. Let the superstar talk. That's what they tell you. It's pretty easy. But I'm like Lincoln. So first of all, he said I'm like Lincoln. And then he said, I'm the man. He said my name correctly like eight times during the podcast. He never said my name, but I'm that, winning. That's, that's good because... He didn't call you Newt, at no, least. didn't call me Nut either. <laughs> he didn't call you Newt like <laughs> Brett did. All right, Panic with Friends. You can hook us up on, please subscribe, two a week. Uh, you'll get an alert. We've talked to great investors, uh, sometimes athletes, investors, entrepreneurs, founders, traders, talking about markets, talking about panic. But we're here to try and educate and make some money. Uh, Apple, Spotify, Google. Uh, Thanks, Dr. Woods. Thanks, Canute. Talk to everybody soon.